Um, I think a lot of times in feminism, I think there's great tears to it. Like Susan B. Anthony, like, yes, please. We all like equality in the vote and paychecks. That still doesn't happen. Like there's so much injustice that needs to be worked out in regards to women. And I totally agree with that. But I think once you get into third, second and third wave feminism, and that's when I begin to tear off because I actually think it is an interesting ideology in that it says we need to exist separate from and usually at the expense of men. Which if you think intelligently, think about patriarchy. Patriarchy says we exist as men separate and at the expense of women. Hello and happy new year, everyone. We're so excited to be back and bringing you all new podcast episodes and even more content for the What the Faith community. Before we dive into our first episode of the year, we want to make sure you're not missing out on anything. So if you're listening to this and you're not already on our email list, make sure you join. We'll be sharing updates on upcoming events, resources, exclusive content, and more in our bi-weekly email. So if you'd like to join, you can simply go to www.whatthefaith.space to sign up. And with that, we are so excited to have Bethany Allen on the podcast today. For those that don't know, Bethany is the pastor of spiritual formation and leadership development at Bridgetown Church, which is located in Portland, Oregon. Bethany was truly one of the most intelligent and sincere people we've had on the show, and her ability to articulate the current cultural, social, political climate that we're all living in was such a special experience and definitely an opportunity for growth for both Ashton and I, and hopefully you. As she said, a Southern Belle by birth, Beth- Bethany left the Bible Belt for the Pacific Northwest in 2007. We hope you enjoyed this discussion as we dive into finding balance and unpacking the patriarchy and feminist movements. Well, one, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I feel honored to be here. Um, yeah, I grew up Southern Baptist, so I grew up in the South. Um, a lot of people don't think Florida is the South proper, but I did grow up in Florida in a more Southern context, and my dad uh, was a Southern Baptist um, pastor. So that's kind of my framework, um, Protestant, evangelical life in its peak. Um, I'm a little bit older than you guys, so <laughs> the 90s was when we were really, that was heating up a ton. And um, yeah, so it was kind of my context was um, evangelical height of the 90s was kind of how I was raised. I was homeschooled for a little bit, then went to private Christian school. So I have a very evangelical, Jesus-y kind of background and context for life. And that's kind of the framework from which my life now has kind of stemmed from in a hopefully non-creepy, weird way. <laughs> so when you, when you mean the height of the 90s, um, could you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, more along the lines of purity culture, think like Joshua Harris um, was kind of a big deal. He was older, obviously, than I was at the time. Um, There was a huge movement. There was a guy named Bill Gothard who was teaching parents basically how to parent their kids, really kind of more strict morality when it comes to the scriptures, definitely more linear um, approaches to how to raise kids, how to be a functional, healthy family, how to contribute to your church, all of that kind of context. And then a lot of Christian music was booming at the time for better or worse. And uh, that was kind of my, that was kind of my world, my paradigm. My parents were in all of those spaces. And so were, so was I by proxy and my siblings as well. So. So at what point did you kind of start um, experiencing more of a shift? You mentioned it was very linear and then uh, I'd say today lots of progressive Christianity isn't that way. It's starting to go a different direction. Where did you kind of first start experiencing that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to orthodoxy or this just kind of framework for the fundamentals or doctrine of what I believe, I don't think that has shifted. But I think for sure, it was probably around my time in college, which would have been like 2007, 2008, 9, um, where I began to experience church in a different way. And by that, even experience life, I would say life in the kingdom or life in the kingdom of the realm of Christianity in a different way. I remember um, being 20, I think I was 20, almost 21. And I remember listening to my first sermon ever on people drinking alcohol. And I thought, dear God, what is this? Um, Because in my context, you didn't drink alcohol. You just abstained from everything. So when I first heard an intelligent and thoughtful teaching on um, alcohol, it was the first time in my life I was like, wow, there may be more to the scriptures than I've understood in the past. And it only spurred on, and at the time I was actually in Bible college, so it spurred on this hunger to actually know the scriptures for myself, to know what Jesus actually taught and how he taught it beyond tradition. And I think that's kind of the, the shift, maybe not necessarily progressive in the liberal sense of the word, but I think progressive in, in, in the way we think and act and engage Christianity as a whole. So for me, it was probably college um, when I began to explore in a deeper way faith that didn't look like my parents and wasn't probably going to by, by virtue of church and church expression, as well as even some theological parameters, things. So kind of an ever evolving journey. And this kind of lead into you starting to take more of um, an active role in the church. Yeah. I mean, uh, yes and no. I feel like I have always, um, I always led in my church because I, apart from any tradition, which I don't resent my tradition, I don't have, I understand that some of it was uh, religious in practice. I actually don't resent any of that as part of my upbringing. It actually shapes so much of who I am. I'm so thankful for it. At the same time, I've always been a leader in that context. I always loved Jesus separate from um, what our tradition was even taught. And I always loved the church or the people of God. And I always cared deeply about people. That's part of my personality. It's part of my leaning and my bent just with who I am. So those two things didn't shift. And those two things were always motivators for me to be a leader. So I was leading at a young age. And then in college, I was leading. I was going to Bible college largely because I just didn't know what else to do. I knew I loved people and I really wanted to help take care of them. And I loved the I love Jesus and I wanted to learn more about scriptures and be intelligent in that and not just, you know, blasting out whatever people were saying because they've heard it said in a tradition. So it was in Bible college that I began to dream about a new role of ownership or leadership in the context of the church. But I don't think it was necessarily um, there that I entered leadership roles. I think I've been in those my whole life. And I think that's true if you're a leader, you're usually a leader wherever you are, if it's a Girl Scout troop or it's, you know, a church context you're generally leading. So for me, that's kind of been my story along the way. Yeah. And you mentioned um, the alcohol discussion. What were some of the other things that kind of going to college and hearing other perspectives, what were other, some other kind of big topics maybe within just kind of cultural Christianity that you were exposed to that you hadn't been exposed to growing up? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big ones was uh, the end times. So in the 80s, our parents, I was born in the 80s. 
So uh, our parents were really big on Jesus coming back and what they call the rapture and this whole narrative of what we call eschatology or eschatological realities. And I think um, that was massive. I began to study more and more about what the scripture said about the end of time or, and I think in light of the pandemic, it's even more ironic that we're talking about it. That was one of those big issues where in cultural, in my cultural Christianity, it was a huge part of the narrative of like, when Jesus would come back and would we have to suffer and endure all this stuff. Um, and in college, I realized I'm not sure there's a million different perspectives on this. No one definitive perspective. So that kind of was helpful. Um, you know, I think in college we talked through some of the modesty issue kind of dialogue back then. And that's still, you know, six, one, half a dozen. There's still a lot of ways you can go with that conversation intelligently. And I think I just, unpacked some more of those. I think the ideologies or the um, uh, influence, I guess, I don't know what I would say around purity culture that weren't helpful psychologically or weren't helpful when it comes to dating or not dating kind of relational dynamics between Christians. Uh, I would say that the, you know, adhering till sex, till marriage, all that kind of stuff stayed the same for me because it's, for me, it's a doctrinal issue. It's an issue of like, actually what I believe the scriptures have to say about actual abundant life. But how that stuff goes down was very much deconstructed um, in my time in college. And that was probably for the best on multiple levels. So, yeah, those are just a few. I mean, I think there's probably a lot others. But right now, those are the biggies off the top of my head that I can remember, at least from that time. Yeah. And kind of what was your experience as a female going to Bible college? Um, you know, oftentimes seminary school is very male dominated. Uh, kind of what was your experience? Yeah, so I went to Bible college in the South, and I had an amazing experience. So that was my undergrad. It's a four-year degree. Um, and uh, my undergrad experience was rad. So good. All the men were rad. My theology professors were kind and respectful and honoring. And then I moved to Portland, Oregon. So I moved from basically a cotton field in Alabama to Portland, Oregon, the most liberal state in the union, so they say, and went to seminary out here to get my master's. And uh, it, was, it was when I came to seminary that I actually experienced the discrepancies and weirdness of being a woman um, leaning into learning the Bible, learning to teach the scriptures, all of that stuff. So here, my experience was more negative, I would say for sure, in the sense that uh, men treated me more like an object. Uh, and, and I shouldn't say all, it's definitely not all men. So I'm not here to create an argument. My experience was that there was actual injustice, and I think long term, I understand that it's systemic injustice with how we're teaching the Bible all the way to how organizations and educational institutions are founded and created, and those ideologies are still continuing on. But in, my, in the classroom kind of day-to-day, there was an experience of definite, um, and I, you just want to be careful about what, what language you use, but it was definitely, definitely the other in the classroom. And there were definitely men who did not agree with me being there, let alone leaning into um, teaching or becoming, you know, any, it, it didn't matter what kind of teaching I was doing, even if it was just a women, it seemed that some of the men in my classroom had an issue with it. And so I just was treated differently. I didn't, men wouldn't speak to me or they wouldn't engage with me or they'd leave a classroom when I was presenting something. So just really, in my opinion, dumb responses to people in your classroom, but I had that here, again, in this liberal um, state, as opposed to in a cotton field in Alabama, where men were just celebrating my presence in the classroom. (laughs) So it was definitely, um, definitely a profound experience. 
um, for better and for worse, I think for me on multiple levels. I like how you <clears throat> talked about, well, you know, you made the distinction that it's not all men because you know, it's, it's bad to stereotype anybody into one group. But what would you say were the differences between the men that wouldn't really accept you and what you're doing and the ones uh, both in the South and also here in more of a liberal area that, that did, if, did pay attention to you and did care about what you had to say and acknowledged your role as a leader? Um, was it, you know, is it deep rooted things or is it, I don't know, what do you think kind of creates the difference there? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, of course, again, I don't want to blanket anything because I don't actually know. I know some and, and others I don't know. I think it's, there's a couple things at play and I'm not, um, I've worked through a lot of the pain of it. So I feel pretty free to speak, hopefully, hopefully openly and objectively. But um, I think that one, it has a lot to do with psychology, whether you like it or not how you were raised, who raised you, the context in which you understood things to be quote unquote the right way or the way things should be. Um, so in some cases you're working against someone's ideology or the ideology or their tradition. And in that case, um, it's usually a lose-lose battle. So some of the men who had issues with me had issues with their mom, had issues with their sister, had issues with women in authority, women who had abused them or had power over them. And that's a real thing, which I can have deep compassion for. Um, other men just were buying into the tradition. They, whether it's egocentric and they needed to feel like they were better than or whatever. I mean, I think that's really on the plate too, or on the table too. Um, and that, that camp as well. So, I mean, I think some of the men who are more insecure has to do with their own stuff, their own insecurity, their own wounding from the past, their own experiences with women. And I think some of those are very valid. It doesn't mean they shouldn't be worked through and addressed, especially in a master's level program and especially as people who claim to be people of God. And to me, I think we have a higher calling on our life to deal with our crap than other, even other people in that we're trying to be responsible for what we believe is the truth and a liberating reality. So that's annoying. Uh, but for the men who celebrated, uh, again, same thing goes. They had usually beautiful experiences with women. They understood partnership and how valuable it was. They weren't threatened by difference, but they embraced difference and saw it as an asset to who they were and to the ministry that they were doing or to their life. I mean, they're just free. So again, I think a large part of the men who had issues, had deep wounding, whether they knew it or not, within themselves. And again, it could be a daddy wound, a mommy wound. I don't know. But I think so much of our prejudice comes from our own injury um, or our own insecurity. And so I think that a lot of the men I encountered probably experienced some of that. And, and also, I think there's a really real thing in the world to say you fear what you don't know. And I do think that if you don't have a context for it or you don't have a paradigm for a woman stepping into a place of leadership, it's a scary thing because it's an unknown entity. What does it mean? What does it translate to? How does it impact your job or how your church functions or how your nonprofit functions or whatever? And I think, unfortunately, that is a true reality um, in the world of Jesus and the church and seminary and all the other places surrounding it. So I think I experienced all, the whole gamut. And again, I don't know who and what and when all the time, but I do know, I think those are some of the things I would say contributed to, you know, to some of the dysfunction that I experienced. Yeah. And it's very interesting too, because I think, you know, when you look at it from probably more of a realistic view, it would make sense that, you know, it's, it's valuable for both men and women to be within leadership roles in the church because men and women have very different perspectives 
yeah. and live, you know, have totally different realities when it comes to, you know, living life and on top of just living life when, when in, in your faith, like whatever that may be. Um, what, what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions, you know, people who are very opposed to having women in church leadership roles? What do you think some of those misconceptions are? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, there's a, a brilliant author, and I would say theologian. Her name is Jen Wilkin. She's out of Texas. And she wrote this beautiful article years ago that just stays with me still. And she talks about what she calls the ghost of the church as it pertains specifically to women. And I think some of the misconceptions uh, that are out there, and I think she has alluded to a couple of these, and that, again, that article was so helpful for me to name even some of my experiences without knowing what was going on. But I think uh, the misconception is that, uh, one, that women are there to, <laughs> um, to, to be a provocative reality in the church. And I don't just mean that sexually. I mean on multiple levels that there's a provocativeness to what women re- would represent in the church or the kingdom of God and that it would actually distract or take away from what God is doing, which is you could see very easily how that could be a lie on every level. Um, and then I think too, a threat is another thing. I see it as a threat to their job or influence. I think early on in ministry, I was told quite a bit in, um, maybe not directly every time, but it was at least inferred to me multiple times that, um, my, my influence over women in the church or how I was leading women should not surpass that of the vision of the pastor leading around me. And I think, um, I think, yes, I get that. And at the same time, I also believe that there's so much value um, in trusting your partners in leadership and trusting, you know, men and women trusting each other and trusting that if I was equipping leaders, female leaders in particular, that they would only add to the vision of the church. Um, And that would be my heart posture. But I think the assumption was that somehow there'd be a deterrent or even an influence over and against the direction the church was already taking. So I think that's another misconception, which I think is, again, silly. I think it's wise to, to steward leadership for sure, whatever, whenever you have it, but it shouldn't be a threat, shouldn't be seen as a threat. It should be seen hopefully as an asset and a blessing. Um, and let's see, some other misconceptions um, that we're less competent <laughs> in a lot of ways because we think differently and we are led differently in a lot of, a lot of ways, not always. Um, you know, a lot of times we are driven and we're able to sense and lead from a place of emotional intelligence. That's our first kind of uh, mode of MO for most of us. Uh, not all of us, some of us. And so that's a difference. And it looks, it could look like a weakness. It could look like um, a lack of intelligence or um, insight or whatever. And I think that's just not true. It's just a different way of doing things. So I think those are some of the, at least the three biggest I can think of right now is just um, provocative and threat and even um, less capable or competent because of our different way of leading. But I think none of those things are true. I think they can be true in the sense that I think in the past, just like all people do, probably people have leaned one way or the other, you know, for different reasons. But I think for the most part, man, those are just, those are myths. Most of the people I know on the planet, specifically women leaders are just the opposite of those things. So um, yeah, but I think those are very common misconceptions and fears. It's all fear-based. None of it's truth-based or peace-based. So, um, so that's like a good indicator. That's probably a bad idea anyway. <laughs> and how, how would you say that uh, traditions 
kind of held in the church or traditional teachings that people follow have kind of played into these misconceptions? Yeah, another great question. You guys have done your homework. You know what you're doing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> this is a bigger, I mean, this is obviously, this is longer. No one has time for it on the podcast. But um, I think if you look at any teaching on, from a patriarchal perspective, you'll find any of these three things hidden in there in their message. And I think traditionally, you know, you look at like the Jewish tradition, um, you look at, or rabbinic tradition, there's more patriarchy due to the time and place and, uh, the tradition and context for which it was birthed, um, all the way to the South where a lot of evangelical culture comes from and other places, there's a major leaning towards patriarchal realities. And so that patriarchy and again, you see, you also see it in the scriptures. I mean, that's another thing. You see patriarchy in the scriptures. And so I think it's easier. It feels like a license to people. And by the way, that's a um, non-intelligent way to read the scriptures. And um, so I get that. But if you don't have education or you don't have um, access to a different even perspective or worldview, that's radically going to influence your understanding. So I do think that a lot of these men and women, I know women who are totally on board with these <laughs> men as well. And uh, would say like, yeah, there's a traditional way this should be done. And we see it in the scriptures and this is how it is. Um, but again, that intelligent, in my opinion, or that um, argument in my opinion is not as intelligent as it could be. Um, and it's usually not as thoughtful when it comes to understanding what the text is actually saying what it's pointing us to, what it's not pointing us to. So I think tradition is largely influenced, you know, or these, these men have been largely influenced by a tradition that looks, it has hints of the Bible in it. But I think when you actually do the good work, um, you probably won't find what you think is there. Um, and again, I'm humble in my opinion. I have, there are a lot of people who are way smarter than me, but at least in my small recollection of what I have been studying and know to be true, I just think a lot of times it's just bad information that's influenced people at a broad scale. And again, it's cheap, so it can go a long way, that kind of information. So um, it's harder work to accept the other things because if you accept a different tradition, it will also be challenged in other areas of your faith, which a lot of us don't want to do. Yeah, and it's, it's so fascinating, too, how tradition, faith, politics, you know, I mean, I mean tradition – is intertwined in so many other aspects of our life. And you had mentioned the patriarchy. Um, you know, I think just in this current political time and just cultural time, we're seeing such like extreme, you know, views on both sides. There's extreme feminism and extreme patriarchy. And so where have you kind of found more of a balance or common ground and like biblical grounds for, you know, women leadership, what it means to be a woman kind of just within this very extreme political, social discussion? Yeah, I mean, that's a great, another great question. You guys, 10 out of 10. Um, yeah, I think for me, it came pretty quickly a couple of years ago. There was a, a book put out, uh, I don't know, it might be five years ago now, called Jesus Feminist by Sarah Bessie. And uh, it was a great book. And yet at the same time, it just stirred up the evangelical community, particularly those who struggle with patriarchal ideology. Um, so, you know, all of us who adhere to this Christian faith, who say like, yes, we believe in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, all this stuff, that this is one of the secondary issues where people were pissed. And some people call it, no, it's a first tier kind of issue because it affects, you know, man and woman, gender, all this stuff, which reflects the image of God. 
So I remember when that came out, I was like, I need to figure this out. And also I had a ton of women at our church who went to PSU who are brilliant. They're in these classes with some of the best, right? Feminist leaders, left thinking, just very brilliant people. And I remember uh, for a while, I had a couple of women coming to me and being like, man, where, why, why don't we say we're feminists? Why don't we as a church, why don't you as a woman say you're feminist? And, um, you know, when I come from a Southern background, so I had a lot to work through cause I have my own, um, prejudice built into me, um, from my context and my culture and all of that, regardless of where I stand, you still have to work out some of these things within you. So I was working some of that out and I finally got to the place where I realized that it's better for me, it feels more faithful and true to call myself a Christian. I felt like it was more potent than calling myself a feminist. And here's why. Um, I think a lot of times in feminism, I think there's great tears to it. Like Susan B. Anthony, like, yes, please. We all like equality in the vote and paychecks. That still doesn't happen. Like there's so much injustice that needs to be worked out in regards to women. And I totally agree with that. But I think once you get into third, second and third wave feminism, and that's when I begin to tear off because I actually think it is an interesting ideology in that it says we need to exist separate from and usually at the expense of men, which if you think intelligently, think about patriarchy. Patriarchy says we exist as men separate and at the expense of women. And so to me, the feminist ideology didn't hold water even intelligently. It, it does in the sense of equality and Jesus is after all those things. And I trust him. His all, everything in the scriptures point to his, his love and affection for both men and women equal, like no question about that. And his value on men and women equal across the board. So he would be all about that, closing the gap of that injustice and doing all that. What I don't think he would be after is, you know, leaning into an ideology that is at the expense of another person. So my, my big argument was I wasn't going to move ahead in my life at the expense of my brothers because that's what they've done to me. There's no way there's healing or movement forward if you do that. So I feel like at least the message of Jesus is one that's better and is able to say men and women together expressing my image or expressing the image of goodness and purity and life and light not at the expense of one another. That's actually taking away from what was supposed to be set out as like the perfect image, which is what we see in Genesis chapter one, which is men and women together in the really like greatest sense of their glory. So I, I kind of am, I'm sure I'm an oddball of that. I think I understand. I've read all the articles and the arguments, not all of them, but a lot of them um, around why it's important to say you're a feminist or why it's important to declare these things. I just don't feel like I need to. I also feel like the angst, um, and the anger, and it's all pain, and I, I do get that, and that camp just doesn't line up with who I am or the way that I want to live my life. Um, and I, again, I feel like the message of Jesus is robust enough to, to speak a better word, for lack of a better phrase, than what the feminist ideology speaks. So I, in the church, I mean, that's, there's a, a huge gap to be closed, probably more than anywhere else in society, and yet... I can't complain about it if I'm not leaning into it and willing to work at it. And so that's been another conviction for me in this argument is if I'm a feminist and I'm breaking off from actually doing the work that I think transforms and brings healing and truth to both parties. And I'm just not willing to do that with who I am and the way that I feel like God is leading me and convicted me to do that. Yeah. And you, you mentioned you feel like an odd boy. I definitely feel like there's probably a lot more women who would hold that view, but I think it's, it's a, it's become a culturally unacceptable thing 
to not want your number one ideology to be in the feminism category, especially what feminism means today. And I think for a lot of people who might not, um, you know, I think when it comes to people who do hold faith and spirituality, a lot of those times, like their number one identity or the group they're going to be in is within their faith, not necessarily in a lot of ways, a cultural and political ideology. Yeah. Um, so I, I honestly think there's probably a lot more women out there that do feel that way. It's just a, it's hard to come forward and say that. Absolutely. I agree <laughs> for sure. And I think it's a, you know, it's a tenuous time. And I, for years got slack for not being able to say that or feeling people feeling like, come on and shouldn't you be. But I think you, I think in this moment politically and ideologically, we have got to start standing up for what we actually think is true and brings greater truth to other people. And I think for me, I just got to the point where I decided I was just going to be that person and try to do it and, and see how that brought freedom to my own life. And I think it has. I think that's so interesting with finding that middle ground uh, between that patriarchy and the more the other side of it. I don't know the proper word for it. Um, but yeah, I think it's so interesting because both sides oftentimes will ignore minorities even if that more minority is like 40 percent you know let's yeah, say yeah. like uh being harder and like being better at like negotiating a pay whether for whatever reason oftentimes like let's say men are better at that more often like 60 percent of the time but i found like with allison and i i'm definitely not in that majority i have a hard time speaking up for myself it takes a lot of prior thought and just kind of building myself up where Allison excels at that. So it's interesting how both sides oftentimes you miss maybe even 40% of a type of person and how those people don't relate to either being on your side or against your side. And so it's, it's interesting. How do you, how do you think the best way is for those people, even in a large minority can navigate this kind of, that kind of tricky path? Yeah, that's a good question. A harder question. Um, You know, I think it's important to distinguish in this conversation roles. And I think that's been part of the debate is the gender role is is, uh, either it's lumped in in like this weird mishmash of (laughs) ideology or um, indoctrination or whatever language you'd want to use. And at the same time, I don't think gender role is necessarily part of the conversation if we're keeping it at its purest level. So if I'm saying feminism at some level is at the expense of men, it basically says we can do it without you. We don't need you. Um, I think in that it doesn't mean it still doesn't it doesn't it doesn't mean I'm still going to be better at lifting big upper body things just because I think that that's true or it could be true. I think my body is physically built in such a way that my legs are my strongest entity. You know, my upper body is just like, forget it. If you ask me to hang on a bar, like probably not going to, probably going to fall into the lake full of alligators or whatever. Like there's some ways in which I've been designed that it looks, it is just different. And so I think the role of like men should be doing this, women should be doing this or whatever the assumption is not really a fair part of the conversation because we're all different. Just like you said, you know, Allison's different than you are. I'm different than a lot of men. I excel in certain areas. I'm also highly emotional and I'm not ashamed of that. I know other men who are highly emotional and we connect in a deep way and they're, they navigate leadership the same way or more in line with what I do. But it doesn't mean that the mass majority of men do that. Most men don't lead emotionally. They lead more in their thinking or in their pragmatism or whatever it may be. Um, I think it just speaks to our need for each other 
and the differentiation of people and that there's a celebration of that regardless of where you land. Feminism or I guess patriarchy. I can't imagine there's a lot of celebration in that camp, but hey, maybe. Um, I just, you know, there's something to be said about distinguishing gender roles from this conversation because that's a whole other camp and a whole other argument. And I think it gets mixed up in this conversation. And that's where a lot of wounding happens and a lot of emotions come up because I'm not this, or I don't, you know, I'm not a 1950s housewife, so I must not be a patriarchy person. And I just think gender roles is where it gets convoluted. But at the ideological core of it all, um, I don't think gender roles is part of the conversation as much as just what we're actually saying and leaning into as people, individuals, all that. You know, especially from cultural Christianity, how much gender um, does play in sometimes to stereotypes. You know, I mean, you hear tons of stories all the time about women, whether they be in leadership roles in the church or not. There are kind of these traditional molds that have been put around what a Christian woman looks like, what a Christian man looks like. And I think we're yeah. really seeing that kind of shift and change. I think some for the better and some for the worse um, in that kind of, what's your perspective on that, especially being someone who is a leader in a church? What, how do you see those gender role kind of conversations affecting the congregation? Yeah. I mean, I think people are talking about it a lot. I think they're also not talking about it a lot. I think it just depends on their circumstances, um, whether that comes up or doesn't come up. I think in regards to the gender role, I think one, there's a massive advantage in the millennial generation as well as generation Z. We are not seeing this conversation hardly at all. If we're seeing it, I mean, it is so, um, minuscule comparatively to my parents generation um to your parents generation it's just not the same conversation a lot of that has to do with um all the traumatic events that have happened around our lifetime it also has to do with the advance of technology it has to do with so many things um you know our parents saw kennedy get shot i don't know how many times i've heard the story i got it you know that happened and <laughs> i'm trying to understand how traumatic it was but apparently it was very traumatic for this nation and influenced so much of their lives i think about jackie o and how many times we hear about jackie o and how she was a an image for women to adhere to back in the day we we don't have that. And not only do we just, we don't have a singular image of Jackie O, we have 9,000 different images of people right now that we could follow and adhere to. So I think it's just timing that's different. I think in, in this generation, in the church specifically, we're just not really having the conversation. It comes up around marriage sometimes, but very rarely is it an intense conversation of like, should I be making him dinner every night? I mean, I just, I've never had that conversation one freaking time. Like I don't, it's just not that. It's just how do we celebrate our differences as opposed to want to kill each other for not being the same, you know? Um, that's more of the honest conversation. So I think less and less we're dealing with it now. As a woman in the church, I think, again, the benefit of where we're at in time and in space is that it's rare that I'm experiencing any expression of like, you know, shouldn't you be home with the kids? And at the same time, <laughs> that's not true for women who are, who are 30 years my senior. They are being told things like that. So, um, and I do think that men who are, you know, who are older than me, who are my dad's age, probably think that about me. Um, but I think when we're talking this generation, I'm not experiencing that from my peers in any way. In fact, I'm experiencing a lot of celebration of who I am and what I'm doing. And right now, the fact that I'm single and leaning into who God's made me to be, whatever that looks like. I have a lot of celebration, but from the older generation, less so my dad's friends, all that. It's really hard to acknowledge for them what I actually do. 
And I think that has to do with their own ideology of gender roles or how things should have been. And again, that's um, for anybody, that's arrogance. That's just, and it's a little bit, you know, it's antiquated. And at the same time, that doesn't change overnight. And, and I can respect where they're coming from. I don't have to like it or agree with it, but I do respect their paradigm and how they got there and all the things that led to that decision. But man, I think it's the blessing is we're having less and less of that in this generation and maybe to a fault, not to get all scandalous, but maybe to a fault, maybe there's something to be said about circling back to the conversation. I do think not that you asked me, but I might as well. Um, I do think we will see a shift post, um, this pandemic as well as post other things where we will see a shift in people returning back to some gender roles. In fact, if you look at statistics right now in the church and in the world at large, there's a return right now for young adults to be in gender roles. And that has been a very significant new part of the conversation where people are desiring a stability they did not know and did not experience. And they're looking for it in these roles and uh, among other things. But I think that's just a very fascinating part of the conversation that we're having even now that should be considered as we're moving ahead. And at least as a church leader, I'm thinking about it and what that means and what I would say to that and where there is value or not value in it. Um, so this is a unique moment and it will continue to be unique in the days ahead, I think. Yeah, that's fascinating. Just thinking about, I think sometimes people do have to get out of their comfort zone to accomplish certain things that they is not typical for the general oftentimes for women i think they have to learn i've i've heard um somebody where they had to teach themselves just to lower their voice so they could command more attention at the office and stuff like that and now yeah it, during a time like a pandemic how hard it is to kind of stay outside of that comfort zone to keep pushing forward is really it's going to be really hard on people yeah yeah it's a unique moment and i think Again, and you know, when we even talked about doing this podcast, there was no pandemic, uh, and now there is. And these are very different days, and there's a lot of our normal orientation or rhythm of life that's being questioned in a unique way, but also changing and will be changed in light of this. So it'll be fascinating to see how that, that shifts things around as well. Yeah, and I think, too, it's also um, – I was reading an article yesterday about you know, dating in the pandemic, and they were looking at all these statistics of the increase in people using digital dating apps. And I think we're at just such a fascinating time. I mean, for Ash and I personally, like we rarely meet any couples that are our age who've met organically. I mean, I think we're yeah. we're pretty much it. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that also too. I mean, there for people that are young and you know millennials too, like the there is so much bombardment of information and things going on and options that I think it does make sense that people would want to revert back to kind of a st stable, this is my role. This is, this is just how things kind of operate because I think now, I mean, there's so many options for everything. Mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, so many options for how you can label your sexuality and your gender and it, yeah. it, there's just so much. And I think it's also hard just to keep track of everything. Um, yeah, I think that is interesting. I had no idea that, um, people, there was increase in people wanting to have more gender role. Yeah. It's a fascinating study. It's newer. Um, but if you look at, you could look at Barna as well as other places that are 
projecting um, statistics and even just some shifts. And that's one of them. Um, so again, there's a lot of reasons I think psychology, um, psychologically for that. I don't think it's all wanting more stability and all that, just that. But I do think there's something to that that's really fascinating in light of our cultural moment, particularly for those of us who are in Portland, you know, having a very different experience with gender and sexuality and all that that entails. Um, that it's been fascinating to me to see that and to really wonder and question physiologically, psychologically, sociologically, all these levels, what does this mean? And is it testifying to something or is it just a response to something? Is it a reaction? Is it whatever? So I think these are fascinating days to keep watching the trajectory of what's, what's to come. I guess um, just to kind of start wrapping up, what do you think that, what would you like people to take away from your journey and what you've accomplished in your role as a uh, female pastor? Um, What do you think people we, what would you like people to take away? Both people are very much in support of you and also people who are kind of against what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, another great question. Um, yeah, I think my hope is, uh, I think I talk to pastors a lot who have different viewpoints for me and I'm not never offended about it. I'm, I love to have intelligent conversations and I'm okay if someone lands in a different place than I do. I'm not, that's not personal. And I, I can respect someone who's actually done the work to know why they believe what they believe and to say yes with like integrity to why they're leaning into what they're doing Um, at a pastoral level, at a church leadership level, at having an opinion about my life or what I'm doing. And so I think the biggest thing I want, I would want people to know from my life as well as from my story um, is that, that um, it's important for you to figure it out, to know where you land and to do so according, not only to the conviction you feel in your heart from God, but also to what the scriptures say, um, and to do that in an intelligent way. I think a lot of times people come to this conversation, and honestly, this is very, very commonplace. They come to the conversation with three texts in hand. I can tell you what those scriptures are. And, and then they say, this is why you shouldn't be doing these things. And there's a huge missing reality to the conversation when it comes to ecclesiologically or like the theology of the church, what we believe about that, what we see through the whole narrative of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, all of this, there's just lacking pieces usually to the conversation. My hope would be that whoever comes to this conversation, wherever they land, that they would do the good work of searching it out and being intelligent in their response. I think part of the thing that frustrates me so much about people on all different sides of the spectrum. And again, I even land more conservatively. Um, People hear the word pastor, they assume they know what that means. But I would even say, you should ask someone what that means. Um, Because in our context of the church, it means different things. And my role is different than an elder. And we would distinguish it that way. And most churches would say, absolutely not. You can't distinguish the two. Um, So (laughs) I think there's a lot to be said about asking good questions, being intelligent, understanding why you believe what you believe and making sure it's not just your tradition or some wounding in you that's speaking out, but knowing why it's your own conviction and how you see that correlate to what Jesus said when he was here on earth. And um, if you can answer those things, I'm on board. What I would want people to take from my life or my story is that. Be intelligent, understand why you believe what you believe, and then be at peace and walk in the freedom of that. I don't, a lot of times people ask me, what do you, you know, is it hurtful? Is it, and sure, it's totally hurtful. I've had weird conversations with people that have been profoundly hurtful, even with people that I love who don't think I should be doing what I'm doing. Um, and at the same time, it's not all that personal anymore. 
And I just, I have to lean into the fact that I feel like before God, I'm doing everything I know to do to love him and to give my life away. And this is what I believe before him I'm free to do and to do it at a pastoral level, to do it from the pulpit sometimes, to do it in one-on-one meetings and otherwise. So I would say, man, celebrate your freedom as well. When you lean in, you know what God's called you to do. Do it with all your heart and don't look back and don't be apologetic. And um, trust God to make ways where there aren't ways and trust God to open up doors where there aren't doors open and, and just be faithful. And above all too, I'd say be humble. You know, I think one of the greatest lessons I've learned is everybody has a story and I want to honor even those who want to hurt me. I don't, you know, it's not personal. I have to believe that. And if it is personal, that's a whole other conversation. But I want to be humble and assume that they have a story and there's a reason they're feeling that passionate about what they're feeling. And maybe someone hurt them or maybe they just have anger in their life or whatever. But free people don't act aggressively like that. So I just, I think it's good to be humble and to remember that there are people too, that you can't objectify them back as they've objectified you, serve others, lean into that, love them, try to outdo them in love, even if they're pissing you off and, and hope for the best and honor, honor everybody with where they're at. I think that's the best and wisest approach to this conversation. And I think there's a lot more to this conversation than just these, this even little bit of time that we've shared together. Um, so even recognizing that as we you know, leave this time, that this is an important, this is a, an important conversation that's multifaceted. It's not one and done. And if it is, it's probably not the right conversation to have. Yeah, I love uh, what you brought up about kind of, you know, wherever you land at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know, doing your research and kind of knowing why you have the opinions you have. You know, I mean, that's kind of the whole base of why we wanted to start this podcast in the first place. Um, so, Bethany, if anybody would want to uh, connect with you more, where should they go to find you? Yeah, I mean, I'm on Instagram. I'm so bad at Twitter. I'm on that too. Um, but I'm not, I'm not, that's not where I communicate. You could also go to the website for the church and find me, and there's an email address there as well. Um, but yeah, and I'm not the best. I'm not the quickest to get back to people. <laughs> I think these two know that. But I am, um, I'm always honored to have the conversation and open, open to the dialogue at any point. So, yeah. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the What the Faith podcast. As always, if you like what you hear and want to connect with us directly, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and you can always find us over on social media. Uh, You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, pretty much any platform you can imagine at our handle, which is at What the Faith Space. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll be back next week with another brand new episode.